Well, we're going to continue in the, uh, in the book of Acts today. If you have been uh, uh, following either online or here in uh, person, um, we, uh, we're through the first couple of uh, uh, chapters uh, uh, of Acts, and if we have been listening and paying attention, uh, we are well aware that uh, Acts begins with um, this uh, seeking to get the attention of the people of God. In fact, uh, these first uh, seven, um, eight, nine chapters of Acts really are about these, uh, these disciples who were uh, Jewish, who were who part of the people of God, who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. It is really about them speaking to the people of God and challenging them to change their ways, challenging uh, them uh, to uh, be a part of Jesus' mission, reminding, and they are, these disciples are reminded that they have been left behind by Jesus to continue participating in his mission, in this new thing that God is doing in the world, this restoration of the creation, uh, this uh, gathering together of God's people so that they might truly be the people that God intended them to be, uh, to once again have the breath of the Spirit breathed into them so that they might be fully alive, not just physically, but spiritually also. And um, at the end of... um, Actually, we're going to look at chapters 3 and 4 today. And these chapters are bracketed by two summary statements uh, about what was going on in the early church. Uh, Summary statements that I think that we're familiar with. But in Acts chapter 2, at the end of Acts chapter 2, we're told uh, that these... uh, these followers of Jesus began to devote themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to the community, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers of the people. And in, in verse 46, um, it continues by telling us, Every day they met in the temple, they ate in their homes, they shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God, and they demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. And the Lord added daily to the community of those who were being saved. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about this word saved and salvation a little bit uh, later. But we, we see this, um, this summary statement of what was going on in the early church. And then we immediately go into Acts chapter 3 and 4, which in reality are a small picture of this summary and what was going on. We're told that Peter and John, uh, they were going to the temple... Um, there's still Jewish folks who go to the temple um, that observe the hours of prayer. And so they're going to the temple at three o'clock, which is one of the hours of prayer uh, to offer up prayer to God. And we're told at the same time that there is this lame man um, who is being brought and placed at the gate to the temple because, see, because of his condition, he was not allowed to go in the temple. And so apparently he sat outside the temple um, at this time, at the time of prayer, because this is when uh, many of the Jewish folks were going to offer prayer. So it was a prime time to, to, to sit there and to gather alms so that he might have something to live upon. And uh, so we are told that as Peter and John approach, he sees them. And he cries out for them, asking them uh, to help him. And in verse 4, this is what we read. Uh, This is what we hear. Peter and John, they stared at him. Peter said, look at us. 
And so the man gazed at them, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, I don't have any money, but I will give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then he grasped the man's right hand. He raised him up. At once his feet and his ankles became strong. Jumping up, he began to walk around. He entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. What a, what a beautiful picture of what happens when the people of God are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and they allow Jesus to, to work in and through them. As we hear this passage, um, you know, I, it's important for us to uh, hear and see that part of what we're hearing in this passage is this vision of Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 36, the same thing that Jesus speaks of in, in Luke chapter 4 about the Spirit being upon him and that the lame walk and the and, and the uh, mute speak. Um, it is this example of God at work healing people. Now, the other thing I find interesting in this passage is that Peter and John say, um, we, we don't have any money to offer you, but we will offer to you what we do have. And I am reminded that we can't offer, as a people of God, as the church today, we can't offer people the healing touch of the Spirit. We can't offer uh, people the witness of Christ if we ourselves have not already received that. They could only give of this gift that they had because they had taken the time uh, to seek out and to allow the Spirit to permeate uh, the very depths of their being. They could only give this because they knew and were in touch with the Holy Spirit and they knew who Jesus was. And so... Um, it is important for us to hear and to see this day. Uh, now, we are told after this in this story that the, uh, the people, they are amazed. Uh, they, they, they see this sign. They, they realize that this man who had been lame from birth can now walk and he's leaping and, and joyous and, and praising God. They know that something um, miraculous has happened. And we will see in uh, the book of Acts, we'll see this repeated um, pattern where there's a mirac miraculous uh, event. There's some kind of explanation of what it means. Um, and, and people will respond and then the disciples will respond um, in kind. But here we see that the people know that something has happened and we're told they, they gather around Peter and John. Um, and it's only then that Peter um, and John stop and Peter um, decides that there needs to be some kind of explanation because apparently the, Peter, the people think that they are some kind of miracle workers or maybe they think that they're some kind of Messiah and Peter um, needs to stop and make sure they understand that what has happened is not because of them, but it is because of the power of the Spirit that they have. It, it has happened, in fact, because of Jesus. It has happened because 
of Jesus. And so he, he explains and he says that God, through Jesus, has brought about this healing. That's what he says in verses 12 through 16, that God, through Jesus, has brought about this healing. And he goes on to say, yes, the same Jesus, the same Jesus that you rejected in favor of a murderer. Remember in Luke, uh, the passage where um, Pilate is ready to release Jesus, and the people say, no, crucify him, and instead give us Barabbas, the one who is the rebel and the murderer. Peter says, yes, the one that you killed, but God raised up. This Jesus is the very giver of life. This Jesus is the source of healing and wholeness. But there's an important thing to notice as Peter is doing this sermon and, and this um, message. Um, Peter's goal is not to condemn the people. It's not to say you are the murderers. Uh, but his purpose is to offer them a second chance. Hi there. Good to see you. Thank you, Cora. I needed that. Um, the Spirit... Uh, th that they are, are um, again, not condemning the people, but they are saying you're getting another chance. You're getting this one that you have rejected. Um, this is the very God and the very Messiah. And so in verses 17 to 16, just as we uh, saw in chapter 2 at Pentecost, Peter encourages people to repent, that is to change their hearts and their lives, to turn toward God. This is an opportunity uh, to turn toward God and to reorient our lives in line with Him. And he goes on again uh, to, to, um, to say, you know, you were ignorant, um, in essence, we didn't understand. Even the disciples didn't fully understand about Jesus until he was crucified and he was risen. And so Peter is just trying to say, uh, so that can be forgiven, but pay attention now because there are no longer any excuses. Because this one who was crucified is now alive and raised um, in fact, he is the one that Moses foretold of, the one, uh, uh, the prophet that Moses said would come, and, and the one that the people should listen to and obey. In fact, he is the one that all of the prophets have spoken about, the Messiah, the one who comes to call the people of God. And it's interesting, in chapter 2, Peter appeals to uh, David and the fact that uh, Jesus is now at the right hand of God and is the king. Here, Peter appeals to Abraham. He appeals to the covenant. He appeals to the people saying, this is the one that the prophets spoke about. The one who will help us renew our covenant with God. The one that will help us renew our covenant with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The one who promised to Abraham that he would be blessed so that all the peoples of the earth might be blessed through you. So in other words, he's reminding the, the people of God... That God has always called them not for privilege, but God has called them for responsibility. That God blesses them so that they might bless other people. 
And, and so as we follow this story in chapter 4, um, we, we learn that, there are, that, that some of the people who hear this message, they believe, and 5,000 people are added to the community of believers. But we are also told, if, we, if we're looking at chapter 4, we are also told uh, that the religious leaders... Um, We are told that the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees, they come to confront Peter and John. They don't like what Peter and John are teaching in the temple. And so they arrest them and imprison them, and the next day they bring them before them and they begin to question them. And really the question they want to know is they want to know, by what authority... By what authority are you doing these things? And I love Peter's response found in chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, over and over again in Acts, we're going to see how the apostles um, respond in the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, leaders of the people and elders, are we being examined today because something good was done for a sick person? A good deed that healed him? If so, then you and all the people of Israel need to know that this man stands healthy before you because of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus, this stone that you all rejected, He has become the cornerstone, the cornerstone of faith and of the people of God. Salvation can be found in no one else throughout the whole world. No other name has been given among humans through which we must be saved. Again, Peter is confronting the people of God reminding them that they have rejected the Messiah and they have another chance to receive and to follow the Messiah. And he says the Messiah is the author and the bringer of salvation. And now it's important for us to think so often when we think about salvation and we think about being saved, we think about what happens to us after we die, don't we? Often we we talk about it's important to get saved so that you can go to heaven when you die as if uh, being saved is about getting some kind of ticket that ensures uh, that we won't burn in hell and instead we'll live in paradise. But if we pay attention to the Gospels and to the book of Acts, that's not a vision of salvation. This word uh, saved is the same word that's used to talk about the healing of the lame man. You see, salvation is not just about something that happens to us in the future. It's not just about a ticket that we get. It's about a forgiveness of sins. It's about a forgiveness of missing the mark that we receive here and now. It is about um, the defeating of evil. In other words, it's about breaking the bondage that we have because we are held in the power uh, to the power of sin, that we're held in the power of our past and of our culture and of the muck that covers up the image of God. Salvation is about removing that and freeing us so that we might truly be the masterpiece God created us to be. Salvation is about a current restoration of people, a restoration in their relationship 
relationship with Christ, a restoration of the image of Christ within them. It is about making people whole. It is about gathering a people who have experienced the presence of Christ, who have experienced changed lives, who have had their own lives impacted by Jesus. That's what salvation means. Now the Sanhedrin, they are, they are really confused by this. And so they send Peter and John out and they have this discussion among themselves. What in the world are we going to do? They really want to shut these guys up. I mean, really, they want them to be quiet. They don't want them to talk about, about Jesus. They don't want to talk about uh, Jesus coming to heal and make people whole. They don't want to uh, talk about uh, this idea of what it means to be the people of God. But they've got a problem. There's this lame man who was born lame who can now walk. Um, it's kind of hard to condemn that, isn't it? And so they fear the people, and so the best they can do is they call them back in and they say, y'all stop it now. Don't be talking about Jesus no more. Isn't that what they do? And I love what Peter says in chapter, or in verse 19. Peter says, ah, well, you know, you can determine whether it's right before God to obey you or... Um, rather than God. But for us, we can't stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And it says they threatened them further. They released them. Um, everyone was praising God for what had happened because uh, the man had, this man who had experienced this sign of healing was, was over 40 years old. In other words, he had been lame. But I, I love this. As for us, we can't stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. In other words, even if we attempted to be quiet, we couldn't because we have experienced the Spirit ourselves. We have experienced this healing touch. We have experienced this transforming presence of Jesus, which has totally shaped us. That's what the disciples are saying. Remember, Peter was the one who denied Jesus three times, and yet we see him boldly standing in the face of opposition saying, I can't help but continue to speak about Jesus, and I will continue to speak about Jesus because what I have seen and what I have experienced and what I have heard. I cannot help but wonder if the problem in the church today is that the people of God either have not seen or experienced or we have just stopped taking the time to acknowledge what we have seen and where we have seen God. Churches that are dying are dying because the people of God stop calling on the Holy Spirit, stop asking for the Spirit to work within their lives to continue to shape them and form them and allow them to have fresh experiences of God's transforming power in their lives. And they no longer have anything to share with other people. Because they're not even sure God is working in their lives. 
But when the people of God gather together and they call upon the Spirit and they open up their hearts and they, and they uh, long for the Spirit to come in and to continue to shape us and to form us, we cannot help but share what God is doing in and within us. And that's what was happening in the early church. They were so open to the, uh, the power and the presence of this transforming uh, spirit that they saw the work of God and the grace of God, and they could not help but share it. And, and we're told after this is all over that Peter and John, they return to the uh, community of faith, and they gather in prayer. And I find this so very interesting. I, I'm going to encourage you to read the prayer in uh, verses 23 through um, 31, I think it is. Uh, they go and they have this prayer, and it's interesting. It is not a prayer, God, protect us from our enemies. It is not a prayer that says, God, deliver us from these terrible circumstances that we do not like. It is a prayer for boldness in their current situation. They pray for the Spirit to embolden their witness that regardless of the circumstances, uh, that they will never fail to share what God is doing in their midst. And in verse 31, it says, After they prayed, the place where they were gathered, it was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began speaking God's Word with confidence and boldness. And then we have another one of these summary statements that says, and they gathered in community together, uh, sharing um, all that they had. There was nobody in need. They were the hands and the feet of Jesus in essence. What a powerful story for us to hear today. To see uh, what a, a spirit-filled church looks like, to see the new things that God can do, the revival that God can bring amidst His people. And I find it interesting. You know, often when we seek revival in the church today, we think of revival beginning with uh, around morality, don't we? We often think that the beginning of revival is just for people to be more moral, either for the church to be more moral and to cast out immoral people, or for the church to challenge the world to be more moral. We think that the key to revival surrounds morality, and yet if we look at Scripture, if we look at the Jesus movement and we look at the movement of the early church, I don't see anything here about morality. Revival begins when the people of God um, receive the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit, they go to share the Spirit. They go uh, to share God's love so that other people are healed and made whole so that they experience the presence of Jesus Christ. One of my mentors from afar, as I call him, because um, I only got to meet with him once in person, but I've read a lot of his books and his podcasts, uh, Michael Slaughter, um, retired pastor from Ginghamsburg, used to say uh, that people aren't going to hear the message until they see the message of Jesus. And that's what we see here in this passage. Peter and John 
offer the touch of Jesus that brings a healing and a wholeness. And then they explain what is going on. They explain that God is at work in our world. Desiring to heal people and to make them whole. Desiring to unite people in community with one another and with Christ. So that we truly might make a difference. You see, a spirit-filled community of people is a community in which others are being healed, in which lives are being changed. And it is a community in which as these lives are changed, as people are transformed, they share how God is working in their lives with each other, and they share that same touch with those outside the community. And when they do that, God is praised. And people daily are added to the community of faith. I don't know about you all, but I long for such communities across our land and across the world. Faithful followers of Jesus that constantly seek out the presence and the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community of faith, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer so that they might be the hands and feet of Jesus and so that others might connect with God, grow in their faith, and they themselves, empowered by the Spirit, go, go to change the lives of others. May it be so in our lives this day and every day. Amen. Gracious God, Come, send your Holy Spirit upon us this day. Indeed, Lord, help us to simply yearn for that Spirit. Open up our hearts so that we might experience transformation. So that we might be emboldened to share what you are doing in our lives so that others will be encouraged to seek you and to pay attention and to be aware of your loving presence that surrounds them. In Christ's name, amen.